0: Welcome to Daring, Daring Two, a podcast that finds out how CEOs and entrepreneurs navigate today's business world. The conventions they're breaking, the challenges they've faced, and the decisions that they've made. And lastly, just what makes them different. Well, thank you for joining me today. I'm Carrie Freeman, co-CEO of Second Muse. Um, I can't wait to get started with you. Um, it's knowing where to start, really. Um, Defining the company as a, an organization that brings visionary governments, corporations, foundations, and startups together to build 21st century economies. Well, if we ever needed an organization to be talking about what the 21st century economies need, um, it's now, if ever. But if you're a lay person listening to that, what does that actually mean, building a 21st century economy? Can you tell me a little bit from your perspective what that looks like?
1: Of course, and thank you so much, Rita. It's great to be on here with you. Whenever we think about economies in general, um, the way they have been built over the last couple of centuries is really excluding a lot of the population by design, right? And and at times intentional, at times not intentional. So not everyone's been included and benefited. There's been amazing advances in the world, of course, but... um, often at the expense of certain humans around the globe. And um, obviously there's been a lot of environmental degradation. And so we believe that um, our economies are very capable of being built in a way that everyone is involved and everyone can access. So it's better for all people and it protects the environment. So it's really a pretty profound and yet simple um, concept that we're really driving towards.
0: I mean, it's a pretty brave thing to do, right, to leave the corporate world. I mean, you were a, clearly a mover and a shaker then because, in, you know, being a member of, uh, of the corporation of Intel for over 15 years and actually starting, I believe, the corporate sustainability group, which in 2019, not many companies were even thinking about sustainability never mind about corporate sustainability function and yet you were brave enough to kind of walk away from that and say there's something else to be done on a wider scale Um, which has led you in the last decade and the company to to help sort of like 48 thriving self-sustaining economic systems that are in place today and what you know astoundingly accelerated more than 250 businesses i mean $7 $7 billion in market value, that's a pretty mean fee. Yet many people might be skeptical of the idea of governments, corporations, foundations coming together to solve societal problems, which is essentially what the ethos of your business is. Um, so, how have you really managed to get people interested to come together? It's not easy to get governments and corporations to come together with the economies and say, actually, if we work together, we can do a hell of a lot more than if we try and deal with things on a silo basis, which is, I guess, what you were kind of alluding to. So what made you go, right, that's it, thank you very much, Intel, I've had a great time, but I have a bigger, wider vision to go explore? What Mm -hmm. was it?
1: Um. so I left Intel um, really doing some amazing things. It's a fantastic corporation. And I feel like really as part of its DNA, it's, it's this belief that corporations have the responsibility and have the opportunity to, to do great things for the world, right? So I think that I, I'm a big fan of corporations when they recognize that they have such an ability to, to make a big difference in the world. So that was definitely Intel. But one of the things that I was incredibly compelled about Second Muse with was it was started by one of my dear friends, so I've known him since my teenage years, um, and another and another co-founder. But they, in their infancy, were bringing together organizations around a very specific topic to say, "Look, if we collaborate, we can get so much more done." And it initially started. One of the big programs was. Um, the Random Hacks of Kindness that was really started to bring together the tech companies, government agencies, the World Bank, NASA, et cetera, and saying, how do we all collectively collaborate, engage um, citizen science, citizen coders um, around the world to develop technology solutions to support disaster response? And so think of this as small company, you know, lots of really smart, hyper-connected young people, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs saying, look, there's a better way of doing things. And um, really getting um, the opportunity to demonstrate that with the earthquake in Haiti that happened and Mm -hmm. really strong accolades of saying, look, this is what's possible. We can actually deploy solutions on the ground to help in a disaster situation. And um, I think from there, it was just a really exciting opportunity. And so what I saw was these phenomenal humans that I um were friends with some of them doing great things in large, large organizations. You're talking the World Bank, you're talking, you're talking Microsoft, you're talking Google, you're talking NASA, saying, look, let's do things differently. So when I really think about um what is possible with organizations and getting them to collaborate and partner together, it's oftentimes identifying those um entrepreneurs, if you will, right? Those people who want to do things, who seek doing more impactful visionary things, and also have the ability to influence internally. They may or may not be you know, significant decision makers in terms of budgets, but they have an ability to influence, and they do. Um, and so we love engaging
0: with those entrepreneurs and organizations all around the globe. Uh, And you've done a fantastic job of it, right? If you look at the the organisations that you have managed, the company organisation has managed to involve, I mean, from like the big names like Nike to across the globe um, to New York and the energy industry there. And I mean, just across the world, I mean, you've kind of like cracked the market from that perspective of helping people to see that actually building these kind of ecosystems needs to be a global response i'm really intrigued by the three sort of forces that you talk about in in the company of people communities and networks as being the if you like the the interconnection of how you solve um, some of the areas that that you have described as as needing focus and attention so tell me a little bit about some of the examples of where you've done that you've given one example i'd love to hear a bit more about um the work that you did in new york city because yeah, it, it kind of like it was a bit of a mental disconnect for me to think about like hard manufacturing back in New York, you know, and yet actually you had great success with that. Um and that is breaking a paradigm that typically people wouldn't necessarily think is a great sort of business model to go after, and yet it, it's created um a lot of return in the economy and jobs for individuals within New York City. <laughs> share a little bit more insight into what got you guys interested in doing that in the first place where did that come from
1: absolutely so before I jump into that I think it's really really important for all of us to recognize the absolute power in relationships and when we talk about um you know individuals and communities and networks at the core of this are relationships and so we fundamentally believe that if we can strengthen relationships and make um wealth come from relationships, we are going to be able to solve anything. Um, I think it's really incredibly important to say, OK, look, we will continue to develop technologies and solutions, et cetera. But the reality is we, you know, we collectively, humanity, have now been um, exploring Mars. We, in the last 24, well, I guess 12 months, I guess I was going to say 14 months, have actually developed um, a vaccine for COVID and the capabilities that exist, the technological capabilities that exist are really um, at our fingertips. Sure. You know, we're trying to explore quantum. We're trying to do all these things and it's not that it's easy. It's just that we're capable of doing that. Um, but oftentimes what inhibits the progress that we're all achieving is relationships and understanding people. So I think that's where we really come in and say, look, it's people that make decisions. It's people that do things. And it's the relationships that really drive those.
0: So, Why has it been so hard for people to get that, though, right? I mean, it seems so logical. It's like, yeah, right, of course it is. Like, we, we're, we're individuals that know that on, like, it's like second nature to us. And yet, you know, we're seeing even with, like, the UN Sustainable Goals, the world is way off the target that was set for that. Why do you think it's so hard?
1: you know i i think so much there's so many reasons for it quite frankly but i think a lot of it is is this notion that has really been backed up by modern economic theory uh, that the individual is is front and center right mm-hmm. and if you're if you're really focused on your individual needs and the individual then then un, then understanding how relationships are incredibly important for building resilience um It's just a harder notion that we haven't gotten around. Right. I mean, you can you can go into lots of different perspectives on Western versus Eastern philosophy. You can look at it from a religious perspective, but quite frankly, you can just look at it from our the way our markets have been formed. And that's one of the ways that we look at it. It is um, if if we're always thinking that the, the individual is the most important and primary front and center, then it's really hard to understand. The role of relationships. Um, I think right now, honestly, coming out, you know, as we're as we're looking towards hopeful success in the next few months, or at least the rest of the year, in vaccine rollout around the globe. At least in the yeah. US, I know we're more fortunate about that. But I think that was a wide awakening of how incredibly important relationships were. <laughs> right? No, um, yeah. Huge. And so that, you know, maybe that's on. It seems more on a social level, but I think that I think quite frankly, people are beginning to grasp the notion of the importance of relationships. And hopefully we can continue saying, look, it's not only for our own mental health or our own you know, familial relationships and our kids going to school, but it's also really to, to be able to solve problems more collaboratively together. So I wanted to get back to your New York question that yeah. I think is really profound. Quite frankly, um, we took our model in this community approach model um, that we've been working with in terms of um, engaging innovators and entrepreneurs on these big challenges. And we said, well, what if we actually did that um, in New York and trying to better understand how we can support a, a once, you know, once thriving now nascent manufacturing industry there. And quite frankly, we responded to an RFP. Um, so on some of these things you say, okay, we, we had the right tools, we had the right approach, and you know what, we, we, I guess, got lucky in responding to it. But I think at the core of what we do that is also um, maybe unique, hopefully, it's not terribly unique, but in certain contexts it is, is deeply understanding the needs of, of organizations uh, and people, most importantly, people within those. And so we spent the first few months in New York really talking with um, startup. People and trying to understand why, what is so hard about doing business here and really creating a business. And obviously, um, space was a big one. Look, it's really incredibly expensive, but other things that we learned were, you know, there wasn't a strong and vibrant network and they didn't know where they could go do prototyping here and what, um, what support organizations had different types of manufacturing tools and they just didn't have all of the, um, the knowledge, if you will, on how to actually move things forward. So in that case, it was very much a let's go off and listen, let's learn and then fill in the gaps, because in almost all cities, at least the size of New York, there's a ton of resources, there's a ton of assets, what we like to think of. And most times people just don't understand how to navigate those or even understand where they are. So it seems incredibly simple, but it's really understanding what the needs are of um. the key the key actors in any sort of economy that you're trying to build and and supporting those so that's what we did and you know within within five years actually within three years we were working with over 100 startups and um you know five years in it's like this is a pretty amazing thriving um manufacturing ecosystem in new york and who would have thought that seven years ago that that was even possible
0: and you focus, you know, I mean, you've worked with with NASA, the World Bank, you know, the big organisations that have actually encouraged this kind of, I would say, inclusive growth kind of approach and philosophy. Um, they're pretty hard to get into to help drive that. Clearly, there's a passion that comes from the organisation itself um, that permeates that. What is it about your, the values of the organisation that you think really reaches those big corporations that say that that they know they have a role to play in society? You know, whether you call it inclusive growth or um, conscious sustainable businesses, what do you think it is that are, are really grabbing their attention? Is it merely the fact that they've got to play the game, or is it a true belief that? actually, no, we do have a role to play now in solving global challenges and, and we need to step up to that. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on that that side of the equation of thinking where they are? Quite frankly, I think it's a combination of both. Um,
1: I think especially in our early days because we were risky, right? You know, why would you engage yeah. with this, this very small group of people doing really kind of what seemed like wild, wild things? And so I think initially it was really working with and nurturing and supporting these um, people who are attracted to the same types of values as ours, quite frankly. And, you know, it's like I keep calling these entrepreneurs, but it is really connecting with them and supporting them. So I think a lot of it truly begins with visionaries, um, you know, leaders who say, look, there's a better way of doing things. So I do think there's that. And then quite frankly, I think now, you know, 10 years later, 13 years later, um we're starting to see that the systems that we've built are not really working i mean this was you know this is the most chaotic time ever think of what just happened in the us obviously everywhere but in the us um incredible racial tensions that keep bubbling up because of systemic racism mm-hmm. you look at the polarization of our politics you look at um you know the 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 insanity, if you will, of what happened in our capital, and, and, you know, on January 6th, and you just say, oh my gosh, there has got to be a better way of doing things. And so I think now more than ever, there are organizations that are, they know they need to do something and they're not sure what to do. And I think there is, I think there's a lot of pressure, quite frankly. So I, I kind of see it as like, this is, this is the way things are headed. Um, you know, will yeah. it be, will there be some, will there be some organizations are doing it because they have to, of course.
0: Um, and that's okay too, but but Let's get into something. some of your insight on that, right? You guys sponsored a, a study, on the 2020 study, in the state of entrepreneurship in the US um, that you did in conjunction with Ipsos. I mean, some pretty startling facts that come out in there that you know are concerning to any business leader, any CEO, and any individual actually that um, has an interest in what's going on in the world and. You know, if ever there was a reason to to sort of sit up and listen, I think this report says it all. The very fact that, you know, more than a quarter of the people that participated in this described the US economic system as racist. Nearly a third saw it as being corrupt. And 72% don't believe that it's an even playing field, right? It creates an uneven playing field. Surely, surely there is a cry for action. Around what companies should be doing um, to create inclusive growth in the future. If, if COVID had, has done anything, it, it surely has heightened um, the need for really focusing on some of these issues. What you know, what has been the response to this study that you've done? I can't help but believe that CEOs around the world are going, we better get together and we better start taking this seriously. Even if, you know, because what you see. In the U.S., is is merely reflected in other continents in the world, right? If not the same, it, it, it's certainly likely to be um, as strong. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. So, I I think one of the overwhelming responses that we've heard um, from business leaders and community leaders, academic leaders, um, on this topic is this is a this is the data we needed. Quite frankly, you know, I've had I've had several yeah. conversations with people saying we had this hunch, we knew this, we think we thought we knew this, and we've been hearing anecdotally that this is the case, but we'd never seen um, we'd never seen the data, quite frankly, right, and we'd never seen it in a way that was um, compelling. So I feel like this gives um, leaders, I, I guess, the necessary support and backing to actually go off and take action on it. So people that are paying attention to these things, I don't think it's, it's not that it's not widely known, right? I mean, there's all sorts of data that, that would point to this, but until you actually have a report that's saying, look, this is incredibly unequal access. This is just not fair. And also we really fundamentally believe that it is the role of local communities to support. I think that's another thing that's incredibly important that, um, you know, sure, the federal government may may do things and we can, you know, we can put forth initiatives, but at the end of the day, to really address these, and not just from an inequality perspective, because of course, we would say that's really important, but to build these resilient economies, and to build um, these resilient communities that we need, we, it's an imperative um, to address these types of gaps. And so I think that people more and more are starting to realize that it's going to be an interesting next, you know, 12 months, 15 months, you know, decade, if you will. But I think as we're coming out of the pandemic, really starting to think about how are we doing things differently, quite frankly? Um, And there's, we have, we're having so many rich conversations in this case. I think people really are eager to understand how do we do things differently? Um, And so we're saying, look, we've got different approaches, we've got different ideas.
0: So one of the theories of the case that I've had since COVID started was that, you know, you would separate out the sustainable businesses from those that, you know, are at risk post-COVID because those that would be sustainable would be truly rise to reflecting what their purpose truly is. Um, And they would walk the talk and that they would step up. And they would play a much bigger role in society. I think COVID has given companies the opportunity to do that. Um, And people are so much more informed that they will make choices about the organizations they want to be associated with or the organizations they want to um, provide feedback for or recognition for or affiliation with. Um, That must be a conversation that is coming up. In these discussions now and um organisations are they reacting to that and saying this is are there certain things that you're seeing they really want to focus on? Obviously, the racial tension is one that comes up um, clearly is one of the areas of inclusiveness. But I mean, are you seeing that there is a desire when you say talking about communities, do you see much more of a desire to kind of reflect what you do with your clients? She's actually engaged in the process of finding out what they want. Do you see mm-hmm. that happening from a culture perspective? I, I wish I could say I do. <laughs> I don't know
1: that I see that yet. To be honest with you, I feel like if we just look broadly across, I mean, the, the conversations we're in. Yes. So let me just let me just say that the conversations we're in, of course, that that's happening. And I also think I also think if you look at the extreme weather patterns last year, with the the horrendous fires, the flooding, all of those types of things, also really. I think opened people's eyes once again to the impact of climate change. But so, yes, we are having those conversations. I think the reality is, is that if you look at at least the business setting and the economy across the United States, we really see the extremes, right? Those that did really, really well, those that were able to prosper, quite frankly, during COVID because they had, you know, they had the products and service offerings. rings. Um, those that pivoted very quickly And then those that honestly just didn't survive. And I don't know that it has anything to do with whether or not they were a responsible business. I hate to say that, but I I honestly, that's the case. Right. I think that there's huge swaths of um, more service based organizations that are quite frankly hurting or, you know, out of business because of it. So I don't. I don't know that we're there yet. Um, I'm glad that you
0: say that, right? Because I hope that the CEOs that are listening to this and the individuals that you know are part of an organization, a foundation, work for the government, wherever they may be, or at home, like are listening and going, you know what? We can make a difference if we kind of recognize that we're not there yet, rather than believing that COVID suddenly has made us very different. So I'm glad to hear you say that because I think we'll heighten the, the need for people to really do what you say, which is and to take some action. Let's pivot a little bit if we may. Let's talk a little bit more about you as an individual. So, you know, clearly this is a passion that has run through you. I'm a great believer that people should do what they're passionate about, because when you're passionate about something, it kind of it permeates everything that you are and who you are. So did you wake up as a child, you know, like young girl at school saying, this is a dream. This is the kind of thing that I'm going to do in the world. I'm going to contribute to making the world a better place. What were you dreaming at the age of five or 10?
1: <laughs> I think I, at the age of five, I was probably dreaming how to get those inflatable letters to stand up appropriately. <laughs> uh, I think I was, so so I think it's an interesting one. I mean, I, I've, you know, I, I've been called a leader since the, yes, the ripe age of five, which I I think that even at a young age and and being a a woman that that's a much, or a girl at that time, you know, a much nicer thing than something else. Um, We should, we should make sure that we never use words like bossy for young girls or boys. But anyhow, um, you know, I really, I have always loved to lead and manage. I mean, that part is part of my DNA. And I also come from a very impact driven mindset family, if you will. So there's, so there is that element, but I started getting into this notion really in high school. So this is, you know, think late, late eighties, early nineties, that business could be used as a force for good. And like, look at all the good that's happening. Um, I got turned on to Donella Meadows and Paul Hawkins and some of these, you know, visionaries of their time. And quite frankly, still visionaries in terms of the concept of like, look, we should think systemically, There are other ways to think of capital. There are other ways that we can really be thinking about using our organizations as a force for good. And I love business. Um, I majored in business. I just, I love, I love business, quite frankly, and everything that it has to do with it. So yes, I would say it has been part of my DNA for, you know, a good, a good 30 years or so that business can be a force for good. I didn't use that terminology um back in high school, but but definitely I had that idea in my head.
0: Well, and you you know, we we have to talk about it because it's important for young women today to know that and have role models that are really successful, recognized in twenty twelve as you know, the 40 under 40 business leader as a woman. Talk about like, your experience of becoming um a CEO, a leader both when you were at Intel and so running your own business, like the challenges that there still are um, and the opportunities that have come your way that um, have helped shape you even further as a leader Mm -hmm. because we've still got a long way to go, I'm afraid, in in the kind of gender-inclusive world. As much as I'd like to say we're there, um, we are far from it. So um, share some of your experience and insights about what learnings you've taken
1: Absolutely. So I think we're a long ways from there. And one of the things I was going to mention during, you know, one of the incredibly negative um, impacts from a a societal perspective is the impact that um, COVID has had on women and women's career trajectories and just the gender equality. Right. I mean, there's so many studies that show Uh that just basically you can take off at least a decade of all the progress we've made. So, you know, that in addition to like income inequality, the, the gap they're widening. So there's definitely some negative it just things. makes
0: me want to cry, right? It makes me want to cry. <laughs> it, it does, you know, it's awful I actually have a t-shirt that says it's shocking at, at the year that you know women might actually get equality in pain because it's so far away. Like I'd have to be reincarnated three times to actually experience it. But like right. you know I mean but but you're right. So I mean it it's clearly affected that. So Yes. how do you help people women particularly and men sort of understand this right you know so I think I think
1: some of it is inc- I think a lot of it honestly starts by encouraging girls um young girls to to really strive for strive for excellence quite frankly or, or whatever it is that they're that's their passion you know I was very much a raised in an environment where you know strive for excellence make sure that you're you know that that you're excelling well academically, you know, supporting leadership skills, etc. I would also say that I give a lot of credit and credence to the whole notion of Title IX. <laughs> and I know that I saw that there's some, you know, some additional revamping or relooking at that again. But quite frankly, I think one of the things that has helped me over the years, um, one of, what not, not the only thing, but this whole notion of strength and physical strength, I think you know, as I got, as I grew up, I started to learn more about also mental strength, et cetera, and emotional resiliency. Yeah. But quite frankly, um, you know, I, I'm not this amazing athlete, so don't think of it that way. But I think I've always thought of myself as a competent athlete and, and you know, having some strength and some speed. And that always helps because at the end of the day, it helps in business. It helps you learn. I'm like, hey, I can do this. If I can go off and run this, or I can climb this, or I can kayak this, I can damn well walk into a boardroom and yeah, I might, you know, I may basically get my ideas shot down or I might not feel so strong, but I'm alive and I'm not injured. I'm walking out of the room. Yeah. Um, and so there's that, there's that idea, quite frankly, of like, how do you, how do you kind of look at the holistic person and build strength and resiliency? And for me, um, activities and sports <laughs> has has yeah. always been a part of that. Um, and it's, and it's a an, it's a really nice, Um, you know, positive feedback loop, quite frankly. Do
0: you think that's about dealing then with like limiting, like it helps to um, dispel limiting beliefs in a way? Like I couldn't possibly climb that mountain. I couldn't possibly walk into that boardroom, that limiting belief and having that kind of physical challenge to go for um, helps to, I don't know, change the hormones in a way that that, um, play in your brain and to, to stop a limiting belief. I mean, is that essentially what it's doing? I think it
1: does. Quite frankly, I think it does. The other thing that I really think is, especially in a lot of the activities that I've done, um, is in, in most of the, you know, a lot of them outdoor pursuits, it's also a lot of men. So at the yeah. end of the day, I'm also used to, you know, people say, hey, doesn't it feel weird to, you know, doesn't it feel weird to go into a room where there's nine men and one woman? And I'm like, yeah, of course it kind of does. Um but I also think that it's like, yeah, but if you're going out just simply mountain bike riding or, you know, going snowboarding or whatever you're doing, the reality is, is, of course, I've got a few good girlfriends that do these things. But overwhelmingly, it's men that do extreme activities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's just this notion of getting very comfortable um, with the other gender and spending time with them and doing
0: things. Um, That's a really interesting insight. And a really valuable one. That I don't think I've, I've heard um, anyone really talked about um, in the past. And so I think that's for listeners, you know, I always have a piece where I go, like, please rewind that bit and play that again, because I think that's a really valuable insight for women listening about um, what you can do to both increase your own physical but mental strength and agility um, to play on a level playing field. And I haven't thought about it that way. It's a really interesting insight um, mm-hmm. that you bring to the table. Let's talk a little bit about mental um, uh, stamina. Post COVID, CEOs and organisations and people in everywhere like the the need for mental stamina um, is heightened in many ways. Do you think that there is, and I and clearly you guys as an organisation have done work in the area of mental health. It's one of the areas that you have. Targeted and said how important it is, and I know that some work with adolescents. But it's a topic that we still—I'm um I'm quite passionate about it. Being someone that's you know suffered from that mental not having enough mental stamina through COVID at some period of time about talking about it. um Do you think that that's something that needs more attention and focus, uh, and or is getting enough attention and focus for organisations going forward post-COVID?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think it's getting, I do think it's getting a lot of attention. I think it's been brought up a lot. I know. I mean, we, we talk about it a lot and yes, we, we work on this, but you know, I think where I think there needs to be a lot of, a lot more work done, it quite frankly, is in people's own vulnerability to just communicate it, you know? Um, I, I'm kind of convinced that either people are basically emotional bricks, um, mental and emotional <laughs> bricks, <laughs> yeah. or they're so they're absolutely not vulnerable, right? Because I'm yeah. you know, going through this, it's like, okay, either you're not feeling or you're not thinking about things, primarily feeling, because there's complete chaos in the world around you, or you're just too um private, too concerned, too fearful to actually share it. So I think that there's, I think that there's still a huge stamina, quite frankly, um, in how hard it is. And I think there's also, I think people are beginning to understand that, like, look, um, this is not a bad thing. There's, you know, it's, there's so many things where there's been negative connotation over, you know, the last many, many decades, right? You hear mental health. And I think, I think it's changing a little bit, quite frankly, mental wellness is much, is a much easier thing to, to say than mental health, I think. But mm-hmm. but what does that mean? You know, um, you have, there's no problems with someone saying, Hey, I'm really sorry. I can't work today. I have a migraine. That's a, phys- you know, okay, fair enough. And I think people are like, Oh, okay, well, did you take care of yourself? Did you, you know, did you take your medicine? Did you drink water? Yada da. Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, it's incredibly um, it's accepted if you will. Right. It's a perfect yeah. question versus just simply saying, Hey, I don't know that I. I don't know that I have the stamina. I don't know that I can keep myself focused enough today um, because of the way I'm feeling to actually have a productive day. And so we're not there yet. Um, we're not there as a company. We're not. We've made some strides, and there's some really brave people, I think. Um, and we try to embrace that. But I think just in general, that's where the gap is. So there's, mm-hmm. an, it's it's a booming market, if you will. Right. In terms of in terms of primarily um, adult mental health and wellness. So there's a huge market there. I think there is a lot of uh, a lot of exposure that happened in terms of communicating the impact of mental health, COVID on mental health. Right. At least one in three, one in three, one in three adults have suffered some form of um, some form of, you know, more serious mental health concerns during there. And if you just look across the board, it's it's I think more and more the numbers are out there. But, you know. People recognizing that it's actually their their good friend who's on the other line, or their colleague or their team member that's saying, "Hey, this is kind of hard," <laughs> is is not quite there yet.
0: Yeah. So let's let's kind of talk a little bit about your view on inclusiveness because that is part of all of this. Like you know, as we um, talk about it, a lot of people look to say, um, "Yeah, inclusiveness that means you know having a diverse ethnic group, or that means having." men and women, or that means having different age groups. But I don't think that's what you guys mean when you talk about inclusivity. I think it's much more broad thinking than that. And it's really smashing some of the paradigms around inclusivity and inclusion and what that means. Could you share your view of what that is to you?
1: Absolutely. So, so I think you're right. And I will also say that we've learned a lot. So we really think of inclusivity as not just you know check the box do you have these 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 types of people and you know these demographics present but also do they feel you know do they belong are they getting access are we are we quite frankly um nurturing and caring for for all of these people um, in the same way so we definitely take a more holistic approach but but i think the reality is is <clears throat> while we have attracted that type of of employee and while the founders and you know the the leaders in the organization definitely believe that I think it's really, it's a practice that we all have to get better at, right? I think this whole thing, it's kind of, think about just broadly systemic racism, right? There's this whole, well, I'm not racist. I'm not, (laughs) I don't do these things. And I think that, that in all reality, even if you think that you're okay and you know things, it takes a whole lot of learning for all of us and practice to actually improve at, um, improve it, helping create a an inclusive or creating an inclusive and an environment where people feel like they belong so I don't think it's a you know I think it's an act of ongoing work um and there's people were also very different so yes there's definitely the 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 um the markers and I do think that that's that is part of it because quite frankly it's hard to even practice these things and try to be more inclusive if you don't have a more inclusive um, if you have a very homogenous group of people, for example, that were few, I mean, it's really hard to practice it. You can say, Hey, we're not, you know, we're not homophobic. We're not racist. We're not, no, no, But if you don't have the ability to practice it, it's really, it's really kind of a mute point, if you will. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a much, much broader
0: practice of. Um, how do you think about hiring your organization? Like how do you go through the process of saying this is a good culture, but, but from that, from that perspective, how- what makes people want to kind of work with you?
1: Uh, honestly, we keep trying. I don't think we've nailed this yet. I don't know if anyone has nailed it. I think that there's, you know, if I look back when I tell people honestly what it's like to to be leading an organization and leading one like this, I'm like, well, I think I've probably done a whole lot more of, I've learned a whole lot more about what's, what you shouldn't do on the path to doing what
0: you should do. Um, you mean to say it's not like, you know, like fantastic every single day, like, you know, like you're perfect in every single way.
1: No, so far from it. We made so so many things. I'm like that was so not smart. Um, why did we do that? I know why we did it, but damn,
0: that was dumb. Um, can but, I just say? Can I just stop you? I think there's a massive learning point. And again, I would encourage listeners to go back and just listen to what you've just said in the last couple of minutes because there is such a wealth of um, self awareness and learning. You know, Um a learning desire and agility that you express in the way that you talk that is a very powerful capability for leaders to have. Um, and so I would encourage people just to go back and listen to the words and how you talk about things because it is it is you know tinged with the reality, self-reflection, um, vulnerability and awareness. And that I think is a hallmark of a of a A capability that is truly needed in today's um, business world and society in general. So I encourage people to go back and listen to it. And you're right; not every day as leader is great. And yeah, the best, the worst mistakes are often the best learnings, right? So, um, but you know, I'm. It's good to hear the the words that you use because I think they're very powerful to people.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, quite frankly, I think one of the things that we do try to assess with people, you know, you say to cultural frit, and we go back and forth, should you, you know, and there's a whole bunch of literature and, you know, current studies and philosophies on, do you try to find fits? Do you try to find, you know, how, how do you, how do you hire appropriately, I guess. And there's definitely better practices, but I do think one of the things that we do try to look for is, and it's hard to assess this quite frankly, but, you know, do people have a self-awareness about them? Um, because at the end of the day, we are all learning. And if we're going to change, we're all going to change the world together. We have to learn together. And so trying to get at that um, capability is really, really important. It's hard to. Um, we've gotten so much better over the past couple of years and I still don't think we've figured this out.
0: <laughs> okay, so a couple more questions for you. So co-CEOs, they don't always get a good press, right? Because co-CEOs and sharing, sharing the decisions, potentially defining the responsibilities. What's your experience been, being a co-CEO?
1: Well, I think the first thing is there's a few fundamental philosophies on this that actually really work well and making sure that, um, that people's not only focus areas, but strengths are different and complementary. I think if you have, you know, if you have two co-CEOs who have very similar strengths and capabilities and and desires on what they want to do, it's a recipe for disaster. So I think that that's just kind of a fundamental, I don't care who you are, that's really, really important. Um, I think it's a constantly, so I think it's really important to continually check Communication, coordination, it's much easier to coordinate with yourself and be, you know, thoughtful and, and strategic and, and planning with yourself and your staff than it is with someone else. So, so I think that just recognizing you kind of have to be locked up with someone is really, really important. Um, and you constantly have to check your ego. You're like, wait, wait, am I if I'm frustrated about this? Am I frustrated because I felt like they stepped on my toes? I felt like we weren't doing you know, we'd agreed upon this and it didn't go this way or is it just simply my ego that's barking? Um, so, so I think that once again, you, you know, going to your point of self-awareness that happens to come into play. I think there also has to be a deep commitment to, um, to actually working through it and making it work. Cause otherwise it's much easier, quite frankly, to, um, it's lonelier, <laughs> but it's much easier to make decisions by yourself. Oftentimes, I don't think you make better ones necessarily, but it's much easier. Um, In my case, right, this is a dear friend who I've known for 25 years, and there's a deep commitment to try to figure things out. And so when things feel a little bit um, tense or crunchy or not quite right, you know, we're constantly saying, hmm, okay, how could have we done this better? What did this feel like? And we do that all day long, pretty much. Um, I should say at least, you know, regularly, maybe not all day long, but at least, you know, every few days we're like, hmm, what's going on here? I guess it's constant is my point. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's let's um, sort of end on a question that um, I think is one but to ask: why more companies are not considering it. You, Second News has been featured by Forbes for retaining their big Corp corporation status. Uh, uh, it's something that gets very press around again. Um, it clearly puts the spotlight on the things that Second News highlights as being important around you know, visionary governments, corporations, foundations, people coming together to create sustainable economies um, for the future. What do you think it's going to take to like make that something that's that every company considers looking at or at least emanating in some shape or fashion versus just the, the pretty scorecard that looks good from a, from an investor perspective, but really, you know, is like, um, window dressing. hmm
1: hmm You know, there was a recent article, um, that was written about that. I'm, I'm going to botch it if it was in the Wall Street Journal or Forbes, um, or Fortune, so apologies on not remembering the finer details of exactly which, which Right, one sure of the them. it was in. It was in one of those, but I thought it was an interesting one in saying that, and it's it was by an author who, or um, a journalist that we've worked with and a professor and um, follows the B Corp movement quite a bit. And, and he's come out and said, look, we really believe that that there's gonna need to be some pretty significant policy changes before, before everyone will get on board with this. And so I think the reality is, is, Um, there needs, it needs to be a push and pull from all sorts of angles. I don't think Uh that there's going to be one certain thing, right? I think that, I think that consumers are going to continue to demand more from companies. There's so much more choice, right? You can, you know, you can set up a small company, you can go advertise yourself on Facebook and Instagram and wherever else. And, you know, you can get a nice little following. So there's just so much more choice that consumer demand is part of it. I think it's a small part of it. Um, I do think that, as we start to see more and more challenges, and we've already seen that, you see what Larry Fink has said um and some other people that that um both large scale investors as well as governments are demanding it um employees, right you look at the, yes. the um new New generations of employees, and they're saying, hey, look, purpose actually matters. And yes, I need to, you know, I want to make good money and I want to be successful. But honestly, quite frankly, it's more important that I'm aligned with the company and my values are. So in all reality, I think the forces are coming from everywhere. Um, B Corp, I'm very committed to B Corp. I think it's great. But it is also, I think the most important thing about B Corp, quite frankly, is it's the most comprehensive guide on how to be a responsible business that exists there's mm-hmm. other there's other there's other processes you know other organizations come up with some of their own um their own policies and their own calculations but to me it is the best guide whether or not companies actually get the certification is is you know it's important to get it but at the end of the day it may not be necessary what's more important is people's behaviors yeah. you know um people's behaviors people meaning individuals as well as organizations so i see that that is happening Quite frankly, I think with that that B Corp is a bit further out there for a lot of organizations, especially ones that are really large. Um, and, and you know, so a lot of the large corporations, just because of the requirements around um basically the operating agreement, the bylaws being changed so that shareholders, uh the the definition of shareholders is much more comprehensive. So I do think that there's the most important thing is that organizations are quite frankly just being better, right? They're they're doing what we want them to do. They're helping, um, they're helping protect the planet while um, bettering, you know, bettering all humans in the process, or at least providing access. So, quite frankly, we believe that it's inevitable that this is happening. And um, whether or not B Corp is the most prominent thing, who knows? Quite frankly, I think even if you talk to the founders, the intent is that businesses are are truly. Um, acting as a force for for good in the world, or
0: well, in the words of Sam Cooke and his song, "A tra-, you know a change is a coming." Right? So I think that one way or another, something's going to shift to to push um, people to continue to push the uh, socially responsible, sustainable economies. Um, so when do you think that there will be a social impact? Um, Nasdaq, because there uh-huh. needs to be one, surely. Right. I don't think so. No, I don't want oh, that. Quite well, let's frankly, talk about
1: that. That's great. I know. it. I, I don't want that. I want NASDAQ to be socially responsible. Period.
0: Right. Um, that's it. Oh, that's what. I, that's even better. Right? Yeah, no, I have. Then, no. When do we get there? When's your prediction? Because it has to happen, right? It's got to be something. You that, know, that it...
1: These predictions are fun. I will tell you my first prediction. Um, when yeah. I was at Intel. I sat there. I remember in my my gray cubicle thinking one day, when is it going to be that there are enough? And I quite frankly thought of myself as part of that generation, enough of these younger business leaders and corporations where the tide is turning and where there will be a whole shift in business. So, quite frankly, I don't know that that's fully happened. But um, whatever it was, a few years ago under the Trump administration, when the corporate executives started backing off and saying, yeah. you know, I would, I would, Very powerful I would say right? you're part of that, but right. Saying we're not going to be about, about your business roundtable. where, you know, yeah. you backed out of the climate Paris agreement, you backed out of these things. You're not responding to the racial tensions in Georgia or wherever they are. That's and massive. we're
0: not going to be right.
1: Right. And so I think then all reality, um, I remember at that time thinking I should be promoting all this on social media saying it's here. It is here. Our business leaders are, you know, most likely acting, acting better for society than our government. Something's weird, but, but still yay, 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 corporate executives. So I think, I think the, the, we're headed there, quite frankly, especially at the nasdaq level right i mean the you know the ones that are the companies that are being you know publicly traded are there, so yeah. you know are we a decade out maybe um you know are we eight years are we fifteen years? I don't know, but i mean we've got we have some massive challenges ahead of us, you know what we have twenty thirty really to kind of turn the tide yeah. on on climate change, so that's that's less than a decade away um i don't know if our democracy can hold up to crazy the crazy racial tensions and, you know, political polarization. So I don't know, let's say, let's come back
0: to me and come back to me. You know, in a decade, small, about that? It takes, it takes very small movements to create great, big movements. So let's hope that uh, through the passion that we all bring and people that listen to this and um, continue to strive to do that. So just lastly, I always ask my last question on it, on um, the podcast is always to ask, um, my guess, what their daring to moment is. So what's been your daring to moment in your life? Would you say, Carrie, you must have so many. It's like, gosh, you know, I'm in awe. But what would you say your daring to moment either has happened or you are daring to believe it to, to happen in the future? Well, I hope I
1: continue to have many more. Um, quite frankly, I think jumping from a large corporation to um, a small company, um, several people said it was career suicide. People had said, oh, I'm, not, "I'm not sure you're, you know, you're up for the risk." And so I think that was definitely a very clear one. Um, so yeah, I'll leave it at that. And obviously, it's I'm quite happy with I'm quite happy with it. But that
0: was that was a big move for me. Awesome. Well, uh, we could have a much longer conversation. We could talk for for a lot longer. But it's time to, to call this podcast to an end. Sadly, but if people want to get know more about Second News. Um, if they want to get a copy of the report, uh, The State of Entrepreneurship 2020, I think it's a really powerful read. If they want to contact you, what's the best way to do that? Second Web address,
1: com. LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, sec- secondmuse.com has the reports and you can access and you can really more deeply understand about our work. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on other social media Um so you know, hello at secondnews.com is a is a way to find me. Um so yes, definitely, definitely accessible.
0: It's great. And if you want to find out more about Dare uh, Worldwide and what we're doing, then please um you can find me on LinkedIn at Rita Um Trahan. Um you can find me on Twitter at Rita underscore Trahan, and you can also find us at Dare underscore Worldwide. Um and if you like this podcast, please put some comments and share your views and share it widely thanks so much carrie it's been um i feel inspired to go do something now i don't know what it is but you know it's going to be something that is contributing back to society so a huge thank you and good luck with the work that you're doing in second years Thank you so much, Rita. It's been a
1: pleasure speaking with you.
0: Thanks for listening. Enjoyed the conversation? Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes of Daring 2. Also, check out our website, dareworldwife.com, for some great resources around business in general, leadership, and how to bring about change. See you next time.